Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 14 through 18. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit's help today in grasping to a greater degree the richness of our inheritance in Christ. We pray that you would help us to comprehend the blessedness of being your son, being your child of the coming kingdom. And Father, I pray that you would so stir in us a great hope of what is coming, that we would be willing to share in your suffering today. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say that... uh, after reading this passage, you could say there's, there's two types of fathers, okay? Um, the one type of father would, would say uh, he's going to withhold, maybe he wouldn't say this, but he's going to withhold his love, his acceptance, his affection. He's going to kind of hold that out like a carrot on a stick for his children in order to kind of leverage their behavior, okay? Now, maybe you didn't have a dad like that, but maybe you can imagine a dad like that. So this is the dad who, in the Little League game, uh, you know, when his son hits the home run in his second time at bat and uh, scores in, you know, bases loaded, it's a big win for the team. When the boy runs up to his father after the game and says, Dad, what'd you think of my home run? You know, the dad says, well, I'll tell you what, what I'm thinking about is that first at bat. What'd you do? You dropped your elbow again. Remember how we've talked about that over and over again? If you hadn't dropped your elbow, you'd have got a better hit the first time, son, you know? We, we, we need to work on these things, and then we, we need to do them in the game, right? And what, what, what kind of a father is that? that? That's the kind of father that's saying, I'm going to hold back my praise. I'm going to hold back my gifts. I'm going to hold back my acceptance until you step it up a notch. And, and even then, I may continue to hold that out to keep you going forward. Now, God the Father is nothing like that, Okay. Nothing at all like that. When, when you look at Romans 8, when you look at really the, the entire Bible, God is the opposite of that, okay? Before you deserved anything, before you earned anything, before you did one good deed, before you impressed anybody, okay, in Christ, God has lavished His riches upon you, okay? So, so that, that's the difference between that kind of Father and God the Father, is that he goes ahead, and the moment that you turn away from your sins and put your faith in his son and his work, God dumps all of his riches upon you. He accepts you. You're a son. You're a child. You're an heir. All the things we're going to talk about, God gives freely 
to us. And then we ought to respond to that in faith. Really, the struggle of the New Testament is is not trying to earn God's favor. We can't do that. The struggle of the New Testament is asking God to open our eyes that we might see the richness of what God has already done. That's really the struggle of the New Testament. Ephesians 1 is a great example of that. In Ephesians 1, verse 3, Paul starts out and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then he goes and lists them. You know, you're chosen, you're predestined, you're adopted, you're, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're, uh, you're given the Holy Spirit. He just lists them, boom, 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 boom. And then he stops and he prays. And you know what he prays? Paul stops and he says, God, I pray for these people that they would know the riches of their inheritance. He just told them. Why does he need to pray? You know Why? Because we, we, we have a hard time getting our minds and hearts around the goodness of God. I bet you some of you came in here today, and, and even though you're a believer, even though you're connected to Jesus, I bet you came in here today feeling like your cup's empty, you know, feeling down about things in your life and that God hasn't blessed you, man. We need God the Holy Spirit to really open our eyes to see the greatness of the gift that we've been given. So let's start out and let's begin to look at what God has given to those who are in Christ. Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, first of all, how do you know if you're a son of God? How do you know if you're a child of God? Well, it tells us there, it says those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now, how do you know if you're led by the Spirit? Well, we could say, well, the work of the Spirit is to convict us of sin, to open our, 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 open our eyes to truth, to lead us in righteousness. All that's true. But let, let's, let's, go, let's be fair to the text, okay? Good Bible study says, well, we need, we need to look at the context, all right? So go back to last week, verse 13, the verse right before that. It says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, what's the Spirit doing? What's He doing in our lives? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then verse 14 says, all who are led by the Spirit. So those who are led by the Spirit are are who? Those whom the Spirit is working to put to death your sin. All right? So so think of it this way. Where is the Spirit going to lead you? Okay? If you're being led by the Spirit, where is He going to lead you? He's going to lead you to kill your sin. He's going to lead you to hunt your sin. He's going to take you hunting. Okay, think of it that way. What is it? Where's the Spirit going to lead you? He's going to take you hunting. What are you hunting? You're going to be hunting your own sin. That's what He's going to be doing. He's going to be revealing in your life areas of sin, areas of rebellion, areas of unbelief. And then He's going to be opening your eyes to see God's glory, Christ's glory, His trustworthiness. He's going to, he's going to change your heart so that you begin to hate that sin and you begin to love Him. And you begin to strangle out sin in your life. And so here's what we could say. We could say that when you see in your life, when you see your pride turn into humility, when you see your selfishness turn into generosity, when you see your, 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 your turning the other cheek instead of holding a grudge and being bitter, and angry, when you see that you're choosing purity over the fleeting pleasure of sin, you know you're being led by the Holy Spirit. He is, he is leading you. He is bringing you to kill the sin and put to death the deeds of your flesh. And so the Bible says when you see that in your life, you know that you're sons of God. You know that you are a son of God. And God has put in you, look at verse 15, it says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery 
to fall back into fear. Let me tell you what the good news is this morning. If you came here today and, and, and what your idea of church was going to be is that I'm going to get up here and give you a rule, you know? All right, guys, today we're going to talk about, you know, um, anger or marriage or money or whatever, you know? And, and your idea was we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you a rule and then you're going to go out and try real hard to do it, okay? No. You might as well be a Muslim, you know? Uh, you might as well be, you might as well give yourself to Allah and Islam. That's all that is. It's just rules and then you try hard. Okay? That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about the person of Jesus Christ who came as our Savior to live the life that we couldn't live and then to die a death in our place. And then by faith, we can be joined to Him. And as we're joined to Him, we get the Holy Spirit. Remember that in verse 9? We get the Holy Spirit. If you join to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to change you from the inside out by his power okay and so we've not been given the the spirit of slavery you should not look at god as this guy with the whip behind you saying you know here's my commands here's my you shouldn't look at god that way What, what what have you been given instead of that look at verse 15 but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. My favorite times in Woodward County Courthouse by far have been the times that I have been to witness an adoption. Those are the only good times, actually, I could tell you about Woodward County Courthouse, okay? All the other times that I've been have not been good. They've not been fun. Usually there's angry people, and then there's angry people, you know? That's what you have at the courthouse. If you're going to be a lawyer, you should you should go visit. You should look at that. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't be. I'm just saying you should know what you're getting into, okay? It, it's, there's angry people at the courthouse. But in an adoption, it's a totally different picture. In an adoption, you have this couple that stands, and they've got this child and, or children. And, and the judge, he, I love it, he goes through. He says, you understand that once we sign these papers, once this gavel comes down, these are your children, They have all the rights of sonship. They have all the rights of your children. You are completely responsible for these children. There's no turning back. I remember a judge saying that. You understand. There's no turning back on this. There's no reversing this. You understand that, don't you? Yes, sir, we understand. And then right there, right in front of me, these children become part of this family. And the Bible is saying God has given you the spirit of, of adoption. God has adopted you by His grace. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is 2 Samuel 9. Story of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is from a bad family. He's from Saul's family. Okay, The family that persecuted King David. The family that rebelled against King David. The family that tried to, tried to assassinate King David. Okay, and so he he has to flee, and as as he is a child, and his nurse is running with him, she drops him, and he, he becomes crippled in both of his feet. He's a cripple now. So he's an enemy of the king. He's a cripple. His family takes him out into the wilderness. They live out in seclusion and low to bar. It says way out in the wilderness where nobody else is there because they're in hiding because they're enemies of the king. And David, King David, says. Is there anybody from that family left? And Ziba says, yeah, there's a guy, Mephibosheth, he's crippled. He lives way out in the wilderness. And, and King David says, go get him. Go get him. And so he goes and gets Mephibosheth. you got to read it, 2 Samuel 9. Gets him, and he, and he brings him to the, pass, to the, to the palace, and into the courtroom, and, and before the throne of, of, of King David. And, and Mephibosheth drops to his face, and he says, what do you have to do with a dead dog like me? That's what he says. A dead dog like me. In other words, why, why, would you, why would you be kicking a dead dog? I'm already crippled. I'm already, you know, what are you doing? And King David says, get up, Mephibosheth. Get up. 
He says, I'm going to give you the inheritance of your father. All that was your father Saul's, all that was King Saul's is going to be yours. But don't worry about it. Don't worry about farming it because I'm going to give you Zeba and all his sons and they're going to farm it for you. But don't even worry about that because you're going to sit at my table and you're going to eat with me and you're going to be like one of my sons for the rest of your life. That's what God's done for you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. He has called you to be his son and he has put in you a spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. What what is that about? Abba, Father is a word that means daddy. It's a a word of affection and dependence, okay? I, I love it when I pull into my driveway and, and my little guy's out there, and he's playing with sticks or whatever. He sees that little white car. He drops his stick, and he starts running for it. The kid's got to grab him, you know, because he just runs toward the car. He's like, you know, he's running for me, okay? That's the spirit. That's the spirit he's talking about there. It's still to this day, every time I come in my house, Haven says, Daddy, Daddy, and hugs me. No matter what she's doing, she may just do it for Daddy, Daddy, hug me, and she goes back to her game or whatever, you know. Hadden, the, they don't do that as much anymore. But the, the Haven, she still does that. She did that yesterday when I came home. Daddy, daddy, okay? That's the spirit that God has put in his sons. He has so lavished his grace upon us that we respond, you know, in, in cries of dependence and, and of love and affection for our father. We come to him not as a slave in fear. We come to him as a son, No matter your past, no matter the the sin that's been forgiven, no matter that, we come as a son. And now it gets even better. Verse 17, we come as an heir. Verse 17 says, and if children, if we're children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. What does that mean? That means that we will inherit all that is God's. We, we get all that's God's. Now, now, we're fellow heirs with Christ. That is even better news, okay? Because maybe your question is, am I really going to inherit the riches of God? Me, you know, let me, little old me, northwest Oklahoma, live my whole life here. Will I really inherit the, the riches of God? Well, the question is, that's not the right question. The question is, will Christ inherit the riches of God? Because you're a fellow. Remember what it means to be a believer? Remember this? It means you've turned away from your sin, but your faith in Christ, you've been joined to Jesus. This is why Easter's so cool for believers. Why? Because whatever happens to Jesus is going to happen to me, right? Because I'm tethered to him. I'm joined to him. I'm connected to him. So if he raised from the dead... I'll raise from the dead. If he defeated the grave, I'll defeat the grave. If he was raised to glory, I'll be raised to glory because I'm joined to him. All right, now Paul is saying, you're a fellow heir of Jesus. And so the question is then, will Jesus inherit all that is the Father's? Well, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. All things. Jesus is the heir of all things. And now I am connected to Jesus, which makes me a fellow heir of Christ. It makes me a joint heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's my inheritance? Well, man, it's going to take a while to unpack, but let's start with this. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 4 says that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is, three things here, are you ready? That is imperishable, that is undefiled, 
and that is unfading, all right? Number one, it's imperishable, okay? So what you're going to inherit from the Father will not perish, okay? Now, what, what you get in this life is going to perish. No matter how precious it is to you, no matter how satisfying it makes you, no matter how good you think it is, the reality of it is it will perish, okay? Not only that, but it will, it will be defiled, right? So number one, it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to perish. It's going to end someday. Number two, it's going to defile, okay? You get that new car, and it's, it is perfect in every way. You take it to Walmart, and there's going to be somebody who lets go of their shopping cart, and there's going to be a 35-mile-an-hour wind, and that thing's going to put up a sail, and it's going to ram into the side of that new thing, and it's not going to be perfect anymore. It's going to be defiled, right? You're going to get that new shirt, and you think, man, I look so spectacular. You're going to go to dinner with friends. You know, you go out for pizza. You, you just feel like, man, my my jokes were so funny today and everybody just I seem to be the center of attention and you get out to the car and you realize that half the mozzarella sauce on that first pizza is all there and now it's defiled you know it's defiled it, it, it's not what it was before it's unfading okay our inheritance is imperishable it'll never perish it's undefiled it can't be ruined it can't be spoiled you can't mess it up okay that's your inheritance and it's unfading that's one that's my favorite unfading no matter what it is in this life, it fades, doesn't it? It loses its ability to captivate us. It loses its ability to, 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 to stir our imagination. It loses its ability to satisfy our soul. It fades. Everything in this life fades. But our inheritance is unfading. What does that mean? That means that for all eternity, what is given to us in Christ, what we inherit because we're joint heirs with Jesus, it never diminishes in its quality and its ability to satisfy my soul. I'm telling you, that is exciting to think about billions of years and never diminishing in the quality of excitement and adventure and stirring affection in my soul. That's what's coming in my inheritance. I am a fellow heir of Jesus Christ. What he gets, I will get in Christ. Now, the size of the inheritance depends upon the wealth of the Father. What does God have? What does He own? He owns it all, okay? And so there's two big characters, character qualities, or two big categories, that's what I want to say, of our inheritance, okay? Number one, we get the earth, okay? We get the earth. So Romans chapter 4, verse 13, we've already been through this passage, but maybe you remember it. It says, for the promise to Abraham and to his offspring would be that he would be the heir of the world, Okay, Abraham is offspring. Remember, you're his offspring if you are a person of faith. That's how you tell if you're Abraham's offspring. If you're, if you're a man of faith, a woman of faith. And if you are, it says you get the world, okay? Remember in Matthew where it said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, okay? Now, Romans 8, if we had time to go on and read, is gonna tell us that God is gonna create a new heavens and a new earth. You don't get the broken one. You get the new one, okay? The new and improved version, what the earth was meant to be. You get all of that. The new heaven, the new earth, it's all yours. All that God created is yours to give. All, all that is infinite gloriously able to satisfy you, that's going to be yours. Now, that's a lot. But it's actually not even close to the best part, okay? If, if, if your idea of heaven is confined, okay? Now, it's true. You get the earth. There's going to be new heavens. There's going to be new earth. Um, we're going we're gonna to travel. We're going to we're going to, I think we'll have jobs to do. That's my personal opinion. Uh, I think we'll have relationships. I can prove that to you from Luke. Um, we, all that, you get it, okay? Not the best part yet, okay? 
I mean, if that's the best part, then you're, you're focusing on the wrong things. I, I hear people sing about heaven and talk about heaven in, in terms only of, man, gold streets, isn't that going to be great? Man, pretty great, isn't that going to be great? Not really, you know? I mean, not really. Like, hey, some of you got, this is a gold ring. So stand on it. Is that How good is that? I don't feel any better. No, not at all, right? Okay? So I, I, don't, I don't think the streets of gold are going to be what's going to satisfy your soul. That, that's not it, okay? There's something else about heaven that is the masterpiece, that is the centerpiece, that is going to stir you forever and ever. So what do you get if you're joint heir of Jesus? You get God. Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And here it comes. You're going to hear this a lot in the Psalms. And my portion forever. What is your portion? Your portion is what you get, right? If you, if you go to the fast food restaurant, now you have choices, right? Normally you have, I'll have a small, I'll have a medium, I'll have a large, I'll have the supersize, I'll have the cart full of food, you know, whatever, right? You, you get a portion, okay? So the psalmist is saying, God is my portion. God is what I get forever, Psalm 16. Favorite psalm of mine, I refer to it all the time. It's an inheritance psalm. In verse 5, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The psalmist is saying, what do I want? I want God. You give me my choice of the inheritance, I want Him. Okay? You hold my lot. Verse 8. I'm sorry, 6. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. What's that about? That's inheritance lines, right? So if there's three sons and their dad has 600 acres, what's he do? Well, I guess if he's going to divide it equally, he says, all right, son number one, you get these 200 acres from this place to this place. Son number two, you get these 200 from this place to this place. Son number three, you get this 200 from this place. Here's your lines, okay? The psalmist says, my lines have fallen in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful uh, inheritance. He's saying the Lord is my portion, okay? Now, now, what's so exciting about that? He goes down into verse 11 and says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what he gets. He gets God, and God is infinitely able to satisfy his soul forever and ever. The presence of God, the character of God, the wisdom of God, the joy of God, the life of God, the strength of God, the, the fulfillment of God, all of that is the only thing that will captivate you and satisfy you for billions of years okay so our inheritance is wrapped around god he is our inheritance now this is why there won't be anyone in hell that didn't want to be there now think about what i said okay i'm not saying there there isn't anybody in hell who doesn't want to be somewhere else i agree with that okay and luke in Luke, where he talks about the rich man and Lazarus, man, there's a guy in hell, and what's he doing? He is pleading for someone to come over and just dip their finger in water and bring it and touch their tongue to relieve the agony for just a second. He pleads, please go back, tell my brothers, go back and tell my brothers not to come to this place. You gotta tell them. They're gonna, they're gonna follow in my steps. They're gonna come here. Please go tell them. Go tell them to live differently. Go tell them to, to, to trust Christ, to, to seek God. Go tell them. Okay, there's, the hell will be full of those people. But what I'm telling you is, there's not anybody that will go to hell that didn't want to do that. Maybe unknowingly. Now, why am I saying that? Well, again, what is our inheritance of heaven? What is the centerpiece of heaven? It's the presence of God. 
It is, it is God's love, God's grace, God's power, God's, God's creativity, God's wisdom, God's strength, God's love. It's God. It's God is, God is the center of heaven, okay? Revelation chapter, chapter 21 is it's describing the glories of heaven. Here's what it says. It says in verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God's going to dwell with man. He will dwell with them two times. They will be his people and God himself will be with them three times. He will dwell with them. They'll be his people. He'll be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things that passed away. The centerpiece of heaven is God. And so if you live your life saying, I am not interested in God. If you live your life saying, I don't want him. Now, I know there's very few people. There are some, actually. There's, there's some. But there's a whole lot of people who never say that with their mouth. They never say, I don't want God. But I'm telling you, I lived for 18 years saying that with my life. I lived for 18 years saying, I'm not interested in God. I'm not interested in worship. I'm not interested in the Bible. I'm not interested in grace. I'm not interested in the cross. I'm not, I'm not interested in that stuff. Here's my list of what I'm interested in. I'm, I want these things. I'm pursuing. These are what's important to me. These are what I'm going to give myself to. But I'm really not interested in these things. And if you live that way, and isn't God gracious? Man, I can't tell you how, how grateful I am that God didn't, when I said repetitively, before age 18, when I said over and over again, God, I don't want you, I'm not interested in you, no thanks for me, for the things of God. I'm so glad God did not give me what I wanted, right then and there. Lloyd Elston used to sit right there, and every time that man would have a chance to testify, he would testify about God's grace to him that for 60 years, he adamantly rejected God. He didn't want him. People would invite him to church. He ain't got time for that. He's going to rope, right? He's going to go, go, go rodeo. He's gonna, he was giving his life to all this other stuff. He wasn't interested in God. And Lloyd would, with tears in his eyes, say, I'm so glad God tarried and did not give me what I wanted. And so what I'm telling you is hell is the place that God is not. Okay? If you don't want God, at some point, God will grant your wish. He will, he will give you a place where He is not. And that place is hell. Now, for us as believers, what are we saying here? We're saying we're joined to Jesus, okay? If we're joined to Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Because He's leading you. He's leading you to change you, to transform you, to put to death your sin, Okay? If, if, you're, if, you, if you're led by the Spirit, you're a son of God. If you're a son of God, you have the spirit of adoption. If you have the spirit of adoption, you cry out in affection for your Father. Boy, that ought to change the way you worship, by the way. Do you worship that way? Do you cry out to God in, in affection and joy? Man, I worry about people that don't. I'm not, I'm, I don't know what to say about that, but I just worry that, you know, and if you don't have it in you to be excited about your Father, I'm not sure what that means, Okay. But you have the, the spirit of, of adoption. He cried out of a father. And then it, then it says, if you're, if, if you're a child of God, then you're an heir. A fellow heir with Christ. Okay, so here's what we're saying. I'm joined to Jesus. And so I get what he gets. I share his life. I share his eternity. I share the inheritance of, of the world and of God. I share that with him. Okay. Now, now here, don't miss this. So if that's true, then you share his life now, correct? If I'm joined to him now, 
And if I have the hope of all the inheritance and all the glory to come, if I have that now, I'm joining it to him now, then I, I share what belongs to him now. And what else is there? Verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. Why would we do that? Well, because we're connected to him, right? We just went through all that. where We share his life. And, and so, so ask yourself this. What belongs to Jesus right now? Right now. Besides all the glory that we talked about. What belongs to him right now? Well, there, there's a lot of things we could say. Let, let me Here, I made a list. Here you go. What belongs to Jesus right now? Rejection by the world. Rejection by the world. So John 15, 18 says this. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on my account, on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, if you're joining me and if you're sharing my life, you're going to share some rejection by the world. What else? Well, Romans 8 says, if we suffer with him, you're going to share some sufferings. Colossians 1.24 says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. What is Paul saying there? Paul's saying, I I am sharing Christ's afflictions. Christ is for the church. He's for the church, for the sake of the church. That's what he's saying there. Christ is working to build the church, to advance the church, to build the kingdom. And Paul is saying, I'm with Jesus. I share that. And, And so Paul says, I'm willing to share some of the struggles that come from building the church, from advancing the church, from the kingdom of God. I'm willing to share that. Trials, yep, I'll share it. Hard times, yep, I'll share it. The, the, the hard work of the gospel, yes, I'll share that. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Paul basically says, look, God, God's, God's let me in on this gospel ministry. Verse 8, to me, though I'm the very least of the saints, was, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, I get to share in this message of telling people about his riches. Verse 9, to bring light to everyone that, 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 that is the plan and the mystery hidden for ages. And if you go on in verse 13, he says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul says, I I share with Jesus this gospel ministry to the world. I share that. We we share what what, what belongs to Jesus, a laying down of comforts for the sake of the kingdom. Isn't that what Jesus did? He laid down his privileges. He laid down what he deserved. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. says in verse 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the the, the death of Jesus so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Paul says, I walk around carrying in me the death and life of Jesus. In other words, I share that. I share it. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, if you're joined to Jesus, if you're a fellow heir and you have all this good coming, 
then you also share the struggles and the difficulties of Jesus' life now. Is that bad news? Did I pull a switcheroo on you? You know, the whole first part of the sermon? Your sons, you know, your spirit of adoption, your heirs, you get the world, you get this unfathomable, immeasurable load of glory forever and ever. That's all yours. You're joined to Jesus, so you get it. And then all of a sudden, oh, but you're joined to Jesus, so there's also tough things right now. Is that bad news? Paul says it's not. Why, why is that not bad news? Well, verse, verse 18. Are you with me? Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Okay, Paul is doing some accounting. That word consider is an accounting word. Okay, it's a word that means to calculate by, mathemat- by a mathematical process. Okay, so literally, Paul gets out his, his spiritual calculator and he begins to run the numbers, okay? Is this a bad deal? So he adds up all the loss of this life, all the suffering, all the shame, all the ridicule, all the being put out, all the struggle, all the pain, all the discomforts, all the trusting Jesus through sickness and through suffering and all the hard times. He adds all that up. And by the way, there was a lot for Paul, okay? I mean, this guy had a lot. Second Corinthians chapter 11, listen to this. This is, this is what he experienced. I'm talking like a madman. This is verse 23. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with, with countless beatings and often near death. Verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city. Let's take a little break. Dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brethren, and toil, that's hard work, and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from these things is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall and I'm not indignant? Paul calculates all of that. He's adding it up. He, he says in, in Romans 8, he says, I consider the sufferings of this present time. I, I think that's all of them. That's a general statement. So, so include here all the sickness and all the weakness and all the irritations and frustrations and hard work and obstacles and persecution. All of that endured in a, in a, in a mind and a state of faith. All of that endured because, of, you know, we trust Jesus. When you endure all that, Paul mounts all that up. And then he puts it beside the glory that's coming. And then do you see what he says? He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us. What's he say about it? It's not worth comparing. Okay? So no matter what you're going through, no matter the struggles, no matter the pain, no matter the suffering, Paul says you can't compare it. What does it mean not to be able to compare something? Shelby, would you come up here real quick? Right here. We'll stand back to back. Who's taller? You're, you need glasses. Who, who's taller? Shelby. Okay. By how much? Okay. Thank you. 
We could compare it. You see, that's not a good illustration. Because you, know, you might think, well, he's way taller. Yeah, but we can still compare it. We can say Shelby is a foot taller than Jason. That, that we compared those two, right? So we need something bigger, right? Well, what does it mean to not be able to compare? How many have been to the Grand Canyon? I love it. I talk about it all the time. I'd go there every month if one of you guys would get a plane and fly me. It's big, okay? But you may have seen the Grand Canyon. Have you seen Jason's Canyon? I made this this morning during first service, during the song service. Every time I tip it up, the canyon gets narrower, you know, tectonic plates. Which is bigger, my canyon, Jason's Canyon, or the Grand Canyon? Grand Canyon. But can we compare it? We can compare it. Yeah. I had some people in the first second service run the numbers, actually. They looked it up. Why weren't they listening to the sermon? But anyway, you can't compare it. If you say my canyon is about a quarter inch wide and about a quarter inch deep, okay? That's how wide my canyon is. Well, all you got to do is get on the Internet and look, and I think the Grand Canyon is like 4,000 foot deep. You know, it's its deepest part. It's like 13 miles wide. It's widest part. Well, you can compare, right? You can say the Grand Canyon is, you know, 12.9999999999 miles wider than Jason's Canyon. And it is 3,999 feet and 11 inches and three quarter deeper than Jason's Canyon. You can compare it, okay? Even though they're way apart, you can still compare it. What Paul is telling us, that whatever you're you're going through right now, whatever you would go through for the sake of the church, whatever discomfort you would go through for the kingdom, for the gospel, whatever that is, you can't compare it. Like when you, when you set up the glory that's coming, the joy that's coming, you can't calculate how far those are apart. Wow. It's so astronomically big that whatever suffering has to be endured cannot be compared to the glory that's coming. Now, this means a couple things. First of all, our suffering as believers is never in vain. Okay? It's it's never random. It's never purposeless. Man, I'm telling you, I think it is so hopeless to not have Jesus... When your life falls apart, and it will. Okay? Because without Christ, I mean, you can tell yourself good things, but honestly, without Jesus, when your health breaks, you just lost out. Without Jesus, when your finances break, you just lost out. Without Jesus, when people hate you, you just lost out. Without Jesus, when you're falsely accused and then things are taken from you, you just lost out. I mean, it's like, it's like going on a diet for three months and, and your family's eating ice cream and you don't. You chew on celery, you know, and you, you, you miss out on, on getting to enjoy cake and, and, and hamburgers and french fries and you miss out on that and then you have to run on the treadmill and your joints ache and your feet are bleeding and you got blisters and you do that for three months. And what if you did that for three months and, and you didn't eat all that stuff and you exercise all the time and at the end of three months you gained 25 pounds and you got diabetes now, Okay. That's what it is to not have Christ. It's just loss. It's just loss. But what Paul is saying is, man, you can't lose out. Not when you share Christ's life. 
And, and here's the spirit of the New Testament. I know, I know right at this point, there are gonna be some of you who, who maybe break off, and that's fine, that's fine. I, I don't even care if you disagree with me. Uh, I think I'm right, and I'm gonna keep selling it, okay? I'm gonna keep pitching it because I think it's the spirit of the New Testament. I think your, your suffering is actually connected to the glory, okay? In other words, what's endured for Jesus now, I think increases your capacity for glory later. I, I believe that. I, 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 don't, I don't think, I think God gives the inheritance to all. <clears throat> Everybody's gonna be in heaven, okay? But I think some people have a bigger cup than others, okay? It's like, like imagine if I have a cup that's like this and, and, and here comes, I'm pouring this waterfall. Imagine I'm standing under Crystal Beach when that big bucket dumps at the swimming pool there, you know, and my cup just fills up immediately. You know, I've, it's this big, but it's overflowing. I think some people are gonna have a bigger cup and a bigger ability to see and experience the glory of Jesus forever. And, and I, think, I think it's connected to how you shared in Jesus' life now, now. Why do you think that? Well, Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Isn't that connecting the two? I don't think that's saying, hey, whether, whether you are persecuted or whether you suffer or not, you get the same reward. No, it seems to me he's saying, you know, rejoice when, when, when you're, you're standing for Jesus and you're persecuted because that's going to have a connection to your reward in heaven. I, th- I think they're connected. So what, what should that mean? Should, should that mean I should seek out suffering? Absolutely not. That's silly. Who would do that? But I should seek to share Jesus' life now. And whatever that means for me is up to God, right? But I want to share his life now. If I'm going to share his eternity and I'm going to share his reward and I'm going to share his glory, man, let me, let me ask you this. I think there's people that try this. I think there's people who say, I want to be an heir. I, I want to share Jesus' reward. I want us to be together. And I, I want to get all that Jesus gets. I want heaven. I want God. I want glory. I want, I want the world. But I won't share his life now. I, I, won't, I won't be with him right now. How are you managing that theologically? I just I want to know how are you managing that? Like, how does that work? Do you have scissors that you, you cut the, the spiritual tether between the two of you? And that's how you justify, hey, I'm not going to be a ministry. Hey, I'm not going to help out. Hey, I'm not going to give the gospel to anybody. Hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be ridiculed. I'm not going to be rejected. I'm not going to be with Jesus. Snip, snip. And then right before you die, you get, the, you get the duct tape out. That's what every good farmer does. Duct tape and bailing wire. Is that, you know, you pull that out. Get this tied up. Good luck, I guess. I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Man, I hope that works for you, but I'm, I'm afraid it doesn't work that way. I'm afraid what Paul is saying there is, are we willing to share Jesus' life now? Connected to him now. And if we share his life now, oh, what is coming is so unbelievably glorious and good that it will make any, any loss here, any discomfort here, any, 
persecution here. It's uncomparable. You just can't compare it. I almost tried. I was going to say it makes it look small. That's comparing it. You can't compare it. It's too far apart. That's what's coming for the sons of God, for the children of God. That's what's given to you upon your salvation and your union to Jesus Christ. That is so good. Father, I pray that you would just give us a heart to rejoice in that today. God, stir up our affections. I pray that within us would cry out, Abba, Father. God, that we would trust you, that we would see and feel and experience the good things to come. That we would we'd be a part of that right now. God, we, we want to share your life, Jesus. That we might share your glory. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the union that we have to our Savior. Lord, open our eyes to see how good this is. In Christ's name. Amen.